Welcome to the Golf Barons Podcast, Tenuous Links, a golf pun we're not only incredibly proud of, but one we're also sure to emulate. Let us careen through bloviated opinions on all things golf, some outrageous innovation ideas to speed up the game, a few laughs, and an historical retelling of an iconic golf moment. Time to add some swagger to your swing. Welcome back to Tenuous Links. Today's podcast is brought to you by Ping. They're a foundation partner of Golf Barons and they've been on board with us from day one. They believe in what we're doing, which is bringing more enjoyment to this great game of golf. Not only have they been a tremendous supporter of us, they have some of the best and most reliable product you'll find anywhere in golf. Just take the G410 Plus out for a hit if you needed any proof of that. Philby, lovely to see you again, big fella. Great to be here, Damien, again. Looking forward to another chat. You still look like you're glowing from Monday's round. Why, I... <laughs> glowing fractionally, I mean, partly burnt, but but you more... <laughs> but more than anything, no, I have a big smile on my face that I've been unable to wipe off, Damien, to be we're completely gonna, frank. We're going to get straight into that. Before we get too much into our pre-President's Cup Media Day experience, let's hit the ground running with a bit of a therapy session, Phil, and... Something to rid ourselves of our hates for this week. Damien, I'm kicking this one off. And mine is a a pretty straightforward one. I hate a lack of short game of mine. I hate having limited touch and feel or the touch and feel of an elephant, not just the posture (laughs) of a giraffe. And I hate being better from 100 out than I am from 10. And it's quite frustrating and was exacerbated by playing golf somewhere on Monday. Let's get straight into it. Is this... A little bit of a a bit of a downer for you from your game at the composite course at Royal Melbourne. The composite course that, that's a nice concept, isn't it? The that's composite course at Royal Melbourne. Two very fun um, words. It, it was. It, if ever you need a fabulous short game, it is around the greatest golf course on earth. Mm-hmm. Oh, declared! Wow, it's the goat. It's definitely Ibexy. So, so the greatest golf course of all time, and and the lies around the greens, and how beautifully lush everything was, yet yet tricky, and the fact that I would far rather be a hundred out than ten, one hundred percent of the time. It's not even a, a form thing. It is just give me a wedge shot in, not a chip shot in. I really think you're being a little harsh on yourself. It's not as bad as you're making it out to be. Um, some have described my drives as chip shots, Damien, but that's <laughs> all I've got to hate because there's been a lot of good in the world. But let's help you, Damien, with your hate. My hate this week is how rarely I get to play the composite course. And I know this is a very much a first world <laughs> good, problem. <good> but... <laughs> Yeah, that was exacerbated the other day by saying, oh, my God, I've only played this thing. I say only. Again, I'm here we go. Here we go, a bit, listeners. Here we yes, go. I've only played it four times. <coughs> four times. Four times in my life, mind you. Oh, in your life, Damien. Yes, Phil. How many times have you played it, actually? Damien, I'm older than you. I've been playing golf longer than you. Both of those by quite a bit. I started playing golf when I was 10, and I'm not going to tell anyone how old I am, but I've waited 37 years for the opportunity to play the composite. And I must tell you, and I've got to get this off my chest because this could have been a backup hate, to listen to you, to listen to you and a delightful, very, very old and dear friend of mine from City, and you know who you are, to stand there and both say, you know, I've played composite more times than I've played West or East. Both knives hurting me deep, third and fourth rib, deep, deep bladed Rambo style knives. Terrific. Love it. Thank you very much. As much as I'm happy to throw that out there as a sledge with you, as we all have a bit of fun with it, I don't mean it in a boastful sense, just more in a, 
almost in a nostalgic sense of how the I, I know a lot of our listeners won't have had the opportunity to play it. I I personally cannot think of a better set of eighteen holes that I've ever played, and it really is a special feeling. It, it, it's it's like. It's the reason you play golf, as much of a cliche as that sounds. When you get out there and play on this course and you feel how it's manicured, but it's naturally manicured. And I know you understand what I mean. I'm, I'm struggling to explain what it is. It's, it's no, there's no other course I've played quite like it. It's Alistair McKenzie. It's flow. Uh, this is the thing, the natural flow of the golf course, and, and that sounds a, a bit of a, a snobby term, but there is a oh, natural flow. There's a natural flow to the golf course. There's a every hole just meets each other, and this is a composite. So this is the best, the best eighteen the best. holes of, yeah. of Royal Melbourne, of which there are combined, you know, the best bits of east and the best bits of west on one block of land. I don't believe, and I've played a bit around the place. I don't believe there is a better set of eighteen holes that exist on the face of the earth as west versus east versus another golf course. I think there are probably better golf courses, but I do not believe, having experienced it for the first time playing, that there is a better connected and and just a more beautiful... I'm a bit... Seriously, it's just... That is goat. This hate is very much a little bit of a love fest here and I'm just going to continue my love, straight into my love, which is my job, Phil. My job, because it allows us these job. great experiences that we genuinely are grateful for. We we would like two kids in a candy store yeah. uh, on Monday. Giggling. We, we were giggling more than that I have, and it was just genuine excitement and joy of looking at every every twist and every turn, looking at the people gathered there. It, it's the purity of what we did and what we do that is why we exist. It's why golf parents exist. Absolutely. And I, I love that I was there to see you actually experience something that you'd been talking about well for a long time that you hadn't hadn't experienced. And I was glad we could we could get you there to have a hit that you clearly absolutely loved. But even the night before we were texting back and forth yeah. and I was like, man, I'm, I could see how excited you were. And it was it was very cool, very cool to see that. Yeah, see and the, the interesting George. thing, from my point of view, I'd, because I'd played East and West more times than you have, you know, that shrug just tells me everything and I'm jealous. But <laughs> So I'd played all 18 holes, but I'd never played them in one day. And that was the big difference is it's not, it's not the, the fact that you haven't played 18. If you've been lucky enough to play Royal Melbourne East and Royal Melbourne West, you've played the composite and some other beautiful golf holes. But to play them connected in exactly the same way, and this is where it builds up, in exactly the same way that the President's Cup is going to be played in the middle of December with the grandstands going up and really fearing, feeling that aura. And I think at one point in time I did actually suggest that you can feel the energy coming from the grandstands, even though there was no one there, which, yeah. you know, links that back to some other concerns I've got about <laughs> my, my life and being watched. But you, you really got a strong sense of what is about to happen there. It is going to be a great event. And what I'm really excited about, and this is not a, a promotional thing for the President's Cup other than Royal Melbourne, is that this will be a, our la- last chance to see GOAT yes. in the flesh. In the last chance, in Australia, he, he won't come back here to play professional golf. Yeah, well, absolutely. I, I think you're right. I think you could be right. So make sure you get out there and, and support it, guys, because yeah. we, we need more of these kind of events in, events in Australia. We need to get this, this game back to, to the fun and the, um, the beauty that it once was. Absolutely. Absolutely. Next, and that's, now, that's my love, Phil. My love and hate, I know they intertwined. My hate happened to be a lack of the love. But what's your love this week? Look, my love, I am going to move away from their experience uh, at Royal Melbourne. But my love is is uh, golf, and it's one of the things I love about golf. It's the ultimate leveller. 
and again, it was highlighted in a conversation I was having this week, that you can get to the first tee of a golf course and you're playing with some people you don't know or even people who are close friends. CEO of a multi-billion dollar corporation, off 25, and not to be derogatory to street sweepers, but I'm a street sweeper and I play off scratch. For four and a half hours, I'm the god and, and they want to be where I am. They want my lifestyle. They want my ability. They want this. And, and that's the, the beauty of the game of golf is that once you're on the golf course, it actually doesn't, like, it, the tyres come off, everything comes off. And the clearest measure of success is actually how good you are. Now, I don't know what that feeling is. No one's ever looked at me with envy, potentially other than my old man when I knocked him off for the first time. But, <laughs> uh, sorry, beat him at golf. I suppose I can't kill him twice. Boy. But... No, no, well, yeah, there was a bit of an attempt at... Well, again, I, I drive like I do my like humour waving. badly. <laughs> <laughs> but that idea of that golf being this ultimate level is that aspiration really is formed by handicap level and that doesn't mean we don't get to play each other. Hello, golf snobs from one of our earlier podcasts. But what it does mean is that there is, there is envy often of how did you get to that point? Well, I wish I could hit that shot. And it exists and it exists for a one market playing with a tour pro. It exists the whole way along, and that's why one of the many, 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 many things we love about golf, the ultimate leveller. Well, that's, that, that's almost that Arnold Palmer quote that what people, you know, what painters see in all the, I can't remember the exact quote, but he finishes it with the beauty that they see in, in their artistry is what he sees in the flight of a golf ball. And it's that very, it doesn't matter who the artist is, it's a great shot, it's a great shot no matter who hits it. And we can all, we can all enjoy that and love it. So Yeah, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But, Damien, what about game changers? Game changers, Phil. Well, actually, this week I want you to lead in with your game changer because I've got a, an interesting one that I want to talk about, but I want to hit you up first. Well, you're going to be more interesting than me, so let me get this just I think that's where I'm trying to go. So this is, this is the new theory, and this is one that I'm going to attempt to take forward, is that unless the first hole is a par three, hit driver. Unless it's a par three... Hit a driver. Oh, there's a few par threes where you could do with the, do okay, with the driver. Okay, okay. I'm just going to. Um, I'll just have to intercept that. So, Damien, unless the first hole is a par three under 180 meters, <laughs> hit driver. And the theory is is that go straight to the big dog with the biggest face. It's your first swing of the day. Yeah, the shaft's a little bit longer, but you've got the biggest head and the biggest face, and you can just pin the ears back and wind up and give it a smasheroo as opposed to trying to guide it a three-iron or guide a three-wood or... Couldn't disagree with you more on this. Yeah, that's about Could time we had a disagreement today. I'd love to... Well, give me some of your theories around well, this then, Damien. Even just a theory. It's hit, hit what you're, what's, you're happy to hit, what you're safe to hit. I mean, for me, I'm a prime example. I'm... My, loosest club, my loosest club in the bag is my driver. That's mm. what I'm most inconsistent with. Well, driver and nine-iron, yeah. Well, that's just not factual. <laughs> take out the last hole uh, the other day. But driver, yeah, so I struggle with my driver when I'm, when I'm battling and I know that my three, uh, my three wood, I, I know I can nut that every single time I step up to the tee and I don't, it's not exactly like I'm hitting it short, Phil. So why would I not ruin my whole round with one swing and get off to a bad start when I can smoke one down the, down the guts and be up and about? I think this highlights a combination of four words, Damien, that you have heard uttered in your direction before. This will be good. Smart guy, dumb golfer. Because given the how well you hit your three-wood versus the number of times, let's say, and I'm going to use Monday as an example, it doesn't matter where we played, that you kept going with driver and 
They didn't work that well. But hang on. But why you was kept I going, going back to the well. You're proving my point. No, but you kept going back to the well. So you, you kept saying it and, and the ego kicks in and I say, all right, I will smoke because <laughs> when I did hit it, I'm smashing it. That's my point. So for me, my theory is, my game changer is, for me, unless it is a par three of under, well, 171, I'm going to be taking driver off the first tee. And just because of their confidence of of hitting it. If I could hit three wood like you, Damien, I may as well probably so, hit three wood. So you don't actually have a game changer for our listeners? Anyone else other that, than you? So this is very me, me, me at the moment, Phil. It's a little bit a little bit me, me, me too. Let's just hope you haven't... Me, well, let's just hope you haven't backed yourself onto a couch or into a corner, Damien. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> What's your legal green light? Good. Damien, game changer, go. Game changer for me... Is something I've discovered that I thought was it's kind of counterproductive or counterintuitive to what I had thought, and that's chipping off tighter lies, like these really neat lies, which again you're not going to get anything neater than than those in and around Do it. Royal Melbourne <coughs> composite. So for yeah, so for me, chipping I, I was absolutely loving. I thought it. It's one of those things where when you see a ball on a really what I'll call a tight lie, or you know, just very minimal grass, like really. Flat, low, low, low grass. Yep. The ball sits up. A lot of people worry about that for some reason, but I find it such an easy, easiest way to chip, the easiest position to hit off. I absolutely loved it. Uh, and it does appear that your love of it flows through into the actual performance of it in terms of how you hit them. Well, it's easy to nip it off that, I find. But where does this, what's the, that, that's a statement. Damien, so have you got a game changer for us or have you just made a statement? No, no. So, well, well, my game changer would be, because not every course, as we know, is as good as Royal Melbourne, and that's not to slight other courses, that's just to pump up just how good Royal Melbourne is. Not every or not any. (laughs) I'm going with it. Yeah, I know you are. You're going strong with it. But I'm just thinking, well, if we could just take, you know, I don't know, a 30 by 30 centimetre piece of the composite course, wherever you go, and whenever you've got a chip, and this is very good, this would be helpful for you, I would think, you struggle a bit with your chipping, and just have a little 30 by 30, place it under your, under your ball and nip it in there. Maybe. So with every with every membership now, you get a 30 by 30 square of raw Melbourne composite. I think. Oh, I love on. it. Tell me it wouldn't work. I love the idea. I think they should actually market it. Like they did when they dug up the MCG or Lords. Everyone tries to sneak onto Lords and cut off a little bit of turf. Raw Melbourne, 30 by 30. It's there only 30,000. There you go. It'll fix your chipping forever unless you're me. That's my game changer. I think it would be magnificent. I just want a little bit of it with me everywhere. It's a pretty good look, Damien. That is a, a pretty good game I'm not changer. Sure it is. <laughs> no, in fact, it's equally terrible to mine. But it was interesting watching you because you are so competent off that, and and you hit some shots at Royal Melbourne that that a lot of people would probably struggle to hit. That also resulted in in checking up off those tight lies. And it's absolute confidence. And you see when you step over one of these from 50 yards in. As opposed to stepping up at the tee. From the tee, <laughs> yes. I mean, after you manage to put the ball on the tee, exactly. you, the confidence that you're ready to hit it, you know you're going to hit it in the vicinity. And some of your shots were were absolutely outstanding. And I think it's actually the way the club works under the the ball. If you had have had a higher bounce wedge, as an example, rather than what you had in terms of that 10-degree bounce wedge, you may well have found... We're getting into bounce. You know this is where I get get confused, Phil. I don't understand bounces. Are we going to? We're almost turned into a gear effect here, haven't we? Well, uh, yeah, subtly. Well, actually, not so subtly, but that's the reality: is that when you're hitting off these lies, which are tighter lies, whether they're the pure definition of a tight lie or not, let it go, aficionados. The reality is, is that your attack on the ball was perfectly suited to the bounce of your wedge, and as a result, the wedge just slides under the ball. Whereas 
Whereas had you had a, a higher bounce, let's say you had a 14-degree bounce wedge, and this is the beauty of wedge fitting around those lies, you may well have found the club was actually hitting the ground and, and bouncing up, hence the wacky name of bounce. Is this your, is it, what's the effective bounce though? How does that work? Is that, oh, we're getting deep here, and I'm not going to bore anyone with my lack of knowledge or my invention oh, okay. of what what I believe the truth is. But you'll hear a lot of wedge companies talk about grind and different different grinds and sole relief, so toe and heel relief, where they actually start to limit it. And and various brands have got numbers of soles. And, and for example, using Ping, we have their their tour sole, and we have the standard sole, and we have the I2 sole or the I2 grind. And what it means, what's interesting actually using Ping as the example, is the I2 grind has got a higher bounce than the others, but because of the sole relief and the way the sole is created, it actually has a lower effective bounce. So effective bounce is this combination of how the grind works and interacts with the ground and what the pure bounce of the club, which is that angle between leading edge and low point. Yeah, no, I've got all that. I'm clear as a bell now. Yep. Damien fell asleep again. So I'm going to have to work on my delivery a little bit. But anyway, that's... Um, but, but it's the importance of really, it's the importance of wedge fitting is, is really what I'm referring to, is your wedges that you use on Monday were perfectly suited to the conditions of Monday. Were you yeah, off somewhere with fluffier lies and up, you know, Queensland or Florida or, or otherwise where the lies a little bit fluffier, had you used that low-bounce wedges, you may well have found the leading edge diving into the ground okay. too much as opposed to skimming across the ground. And that's where you where wedge fitting is something that we've ignored, but as we've spoken about in the past, you know, wedges, more technology and more explanation is coming into it for us punters and we're enjoying that. Now that you've taken my gear effect and run off with it beautifully, have you got one of your own? I, yeah, well, no, I do no. or not. This one is not actually a gear effect, Damien. It's more a what I'm going to call a course effect. Why not? Um, and it occurred to me more so than ever on Monday is that, and I'll, in fact, I'll lead this in with an example. John Rahm, we have this assumption that the best players in the world play the best courses and get access to the best courses and, and they, they want, want yeah. to play them, like they're desperate to play them. John Rahm, reasonable player, played the old course at St Andrews for the first time this year. That was with his dad, wasn't it? Because he wanted to play it with his dad at the Alfred Dunhill Links Championship, but he wanted to save that round for his dad. Now, I was surprised when I first read yes. that because I thought, you well, assumed he's, he's played it years ago. He's or, Spanish. Yeah. It's only Scotland. It's not that far away. It's not Australia. Surely he's got to have played it. Surely he's got to have played it. Which then, you know, you hear about Jordan Spieth comes to Australia, and we love it when he does come down here, but comes to Australia to play the Australian Open at, say, Royal Sydney. Starts in Melbourne. The first time he came to Australia, yeah. he started in Melbourne to play Kingston Heath and Royal. He had to play them. Because he had to play them. Because he just loved he just loved the game. Tiger Woods, the way Tiger Woods talks about the sandbelt in Melbourne is almost like he's talking about one of his kids. They're, they're kind of golf nuffies, aren't they? Absolute golf fundamental golf purists. Yeah. So what occurred to me on Monday was we're playing the composite course at Royal Melbourne. How many of the world's top fifty either have played the composite course at Royal Melbourne or, or have this intense to. desire, yeah, like I have for my whole life? Uh, and you have for since two months ago when you last played it, but to play the composite course at Royal Melbourne. And if they don't, is it therefore just a job? So is their life on tour just a job? And and going back to cricket, you know how I love cricket, but there was a... Oh, this, yeah, well, it seems very much the kind of thing that uh, Mike Hussey, for example. So Mike Hussey nicknamed Mr Cricket for a reason because at any given opportunity he wanted to play cricket. He had a... His passion for cricket was was just unbridled. He was, you know, a lot of the guys would have, 
they have rostered days off to give them, you know, a break from the game so they can stay focused and all the rest of it. And he was the opposite. He never wanted a day off. He wanted to play every chance he could. He had to go out and have a bat. He'd want to go out and have a bat. Yeah. So, so the flowing from that then is how many of these PJ Tour guys, yeah, uh, and girls, sorry, because it is it is true for both, have this desperate, intense desire to say, I just have to go and play Royal Composite. I am not going to retire until I play Royal Composite. I think you'll be surprised at how many don't, how many are not that way inclined. And I'm only going by, like, I know over the years I've had chats with several several of Australia's, some of the better players as well. I had good chats with them about courses and played on really good courses with them and, and sort of said, oh, you know, how, how wonderful is this? And, and they just go, what? They don't even see it. It's just a job. They're more interested in finishing the, the prime and getting to the bar and having a drink and relaxing and getting ready for the round. It's just a job to them. And it's really sad. I think it's one of those things where, like growing up, I've thought over time, oh, how cool would it have been to be a professional golfer? You know, you got the clubs really early. When you're little, you learn it all and you come up through the ranks and you've got your career made kind of thing. And I think about it now and I'm so glad that that wasn't sort of foisted upon me at all because I find it really sad how many of them have lost the love of the game. Like, I look, for me now, golf is its everything that's ahead of me. All the, the experiences I've got ahead, that is, it's more about the fun and the excitement and all that, all those other things and learning some, you know, hitting a chip in at St Andrews or whatever rather than expecting to and getting upset if I don't. All those little things that golf is not my job as much as it is my job, I love it. I just love that that I've still got that and I'm, and it's really sad that the, a lot of those professionals don't see it the same way. And in Australia there was recently um, Tom Boyd, who was a, an outstanding Australian rules footballer and premiership player, made this very comment about him playing AFL, is that it became a job. He, his aspiration from as a young boy was what do you do, for, you know, what do you want to do for a living? What do you want to do when you grow up? Mm-hmm. I want to play AFL football. But it, he felt that because it was a job to him, there was no passion in it. And therefore, if the passion dies, I resign. Mm. And so he retired at a very young age and he's, and he's it. running really around sad. playing with his mates. But from that point of view, it is how many of that the tour players have that intense desire to say, no, I need to touch history. But not only that, from the joy, the pure joy and camaraderie, there was a, a lovely photo on social media of the Champions Tour. And there are a number, I think, Scott McCarran and your friend Jimenez and Bernard Langer, or Bernard Longer. Longer. All enjoying a glass of wine and enjoying each other's photo, company yeah. and big smiles on their faces and, and like they're in heaven. They're the sort of guys that I can imagine would have gone out of their way to say, we need to play Royal Composite. And in yeah. fact, from Australia's point of view, and just a heads up to the PGA Tour, you could do worse than to run a Champions bring event a of these guys or bring a few sure. of them down, maybe say a New South Wales or an Alistair McKenzie you know, New South Wales, Royal Melbourne combination because we would turn up to watch it because they Ingrowth, love yeah. everything they do. This is not a this is not a chore to them. It is joy and love and I well, think there's an opportunity there. Well, I remember the um, the photo you're talking about. I remember seeing it and I actually caught myself smiling. Like I, I looked at it. <laughs> I, I First catch you've ever taken. Watching it. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I dropped plenty. I'm looking at it and going, geez, I'm, I'm, the fact that I'm reacting to that and not realising I am in a really positive way shows that, yeah, these guys get golf. We have There's a connection there. That's a Barons thing. We love seeing other people who love this game still have that passion, one, but actually enjoying the game. And, and that was my first thought as well, Damien. You know, that is a very golf Barons. That is what the Baronhood is, is enjoying finer things in life but loving the game but 
loving the other things that surround the game. The and part of that is just the comradeship and having a chat, just and, being alive. And speaking of Barons, we... We had a Barons moment, didn't we, at the start of, <laughs> at the, start of the uh, President's Cup Media Day? We did have we did have a very, very Barons moment. Damien, do you, a, would you like to explain it or would I? Oh, do you want me to start? Do you want to yeah, start? You, we, you serve. So the President's Cup for this year, for those of you who don't know, one of the sponsors, I believe, is Four Pillars, which is a, a gin company in the Arrow Valley. And these guys have come up with two, two cocktails, one representing the US team and one representing the internationals. Now... I'll go through those in a second, but before we before we do that, we were running. So we were starting on the fifteenth hole, way back corner of Royal Melbourne Compass. Possibly the furthest. I mean, we, that's another mm. question. Why weren't we looked after? What's going on there? Anyway, no, no, no. We're the second furthest. Second so furthest. we were looked so after. We and on the way out there, there was a stand. There's the four pillars stand. And we looked at each other, and all it took was just a little a little wink. And, yep. Straight over, officially the first cocktails poured for the President's Cup, the whole President's Cup, which started obviously on the Media Cup, on the Media Cup Day, on the Media Day. First ones belonged to the Golf Barons. Uh, and I think, uh, I won't say that we coerced the young lady into making them, but I, the words were, look, we're really only here for display and to set up and we'll be making them on the on the balcony later on and we've, I think, gave her enough of a look that said... No, no, no. Oh, come on, look at us. <laughs> and then it was followed up by the beautiful Damien... Oh, no, it's just for media purposes. We just want to take some photos to... Which we um, did. Hashtag Presence Cup, which you did, and we did post on our Instagram. It would have been a waste to let it... Uh, on our Instagram page. And, and then, yes, OK, no problem, I'll make them. Oh, you might as well take them then. And so there we were. Uh, as, this is about as barren as we get, playing Royal Melbourne Composite for me for the first time, panicking that we might have been late for the shotgun start, but it'd be more important to be well-equipped. So I had the uh, the US cocktail in my hand and Damien had the internationals, which he will go into. As we um, traversed Royal Melbourne in search of that back corner, the far back corner, running across fairways and through rough, holding glasses of gin and tonics, or gin, in fact, no, there is no tonic, so just of, of four pillars gin, um, making our way over but not sprinting fast enough that we'd spill it, even though we thought there was a chance we might have missed it. Not a drop time. was wasted. And it's fair to say the heart rate was going pretty hard on that first drive, more so than it would normally have been, even though it was a pretty fun and exciting moment. And it's hard to drink gin, which was desperate to drink, whilst running across fairways, yeah. not wanting to get hit by golf balls. But I, I thought we managed it fairly well. I think we did quite well. So I'll get into these now because... We've had them sitting in front of us and uh, we've recreated it because we can't let it go. Um, we've got There you go, there's Phil, yeah, he can drink. So the two here are the two cocktails that we've got. We've got uh, now, first things first, we didn't make up these names. No, so <laughs> no I'll, we I'll did you, not. I'll tell you what they're called. So the first one, which is the Internationals, is called the Four Pillars Gintonational, which is a shit name, let's be honest. Sorry, that's crap. It's really poor. I can't believe a marketing company came up with that, Phil. But more importantly, what it has in it is the Four Pillars Navy Strength Gin, ginger beer, lime and bitters. And it's fair to say it's a pretty good combination, Phil. Correct. Excellent. And then we've got, wait for it, the US version, the <clears throat> Par Spangled <coughs> Banner. Par Spangled Banner. Also a shit name, but what it has is one of the greatest drops of gin on this earth contained within it, the Four Pillars Bloody Shiraz Gin and Bitter Lemon. That's all it has in it. I can't believe it. The flavours you get out of that is incredible. Do you know what's scary, Damien? 
the US already has a point on the board. One nil. Yeah. One nil. We haven't even started. I, I mean, as if we needed to give the US a head start. It hurts. They go, they get the bloody Shiraz gin and bitter lemon. One nil. What a now, combination. Now, the four pillars, international, <coughs> um, it, it, it's still, he's really quite delicious. It is uh, a very, good. very drinkable, yeah, very, very drinkable cocktail. And, and we do encourage people, look, four pillars are a great gin distillery out of the Yarra Valley in Victoria, and it's only a small one, so you'll often find things sold out, as we attempted to when we were recreating the four pillars. Four pillars oh, just, just, international. Just, international. <laughs> just call it the Inters. The Inters. But it's really well worth the effort to go and find it. And I know it sounds, again, it's a, a little bit uppity, but these are delicious, highly drinkable. I think it's a great little touch to, to put towards yeah, the, um, fantastic. the President's Cup as well. I think it's, it's letting a hair down a little bit. We all like a gin, let's be honest, a gin out on a warm day. Let's let's celebrate it. Don't be silly about it. Mm. Yeah, well, I can get we, silly about it. Let's yeah. Although we don't encourage you to uh, order a gin and tonic if you're playing on one of the furthest tees in a shotgun start no, uh, and you're not exactly sure where you need to get to and you're running late. No, I do recommend it because we do had a recommend fantastic right. time. How, good, how well did we get off the tee? Yeah, you did. You smoked it off the tee. So, I, I did smoke it so, off the tee, but I'll tell you what we did do is we made an impact because there was that who are those two dickheads running across raw Melbourne composite carrying glasses of gin. Well, it's us two dickheads. Anyway, we were support- at least we were supporting the event and supporting the sponsors, and that's a very important thing to do. It seems that we... No, I've... Yes. Am I allowed a sip yet? <laughs> yes, you can have a sip. How was that, Damien? That's unbelievable. But anyway, Phil... The idea would have been that you were speaking while I was having a sip there. No, I was so watching. I, I was watching out of envy because Damien in front of him has got the past spangled banner. I've got the American. He's version. got the one nil, and, and I'm looking upon it with envy. So I would have kept speaking, other than the fact that I was drooling. <laughs> wow, Phil. Let's move into trending. In in fact, this week, I'm actually. This could have been in my hates, uh, if I'm being completely honest. Ooh. This week's trending for me is actually a lack of trending. With so with the local media and social media in particular, so we were there. We were. We've been given this wonderful opportunity, this this privilege, without and it was to, a without wanting to overstate it. We were given a privilege, and we were asked at the at the outset, please go out there, capture your day, and put it out on Instagram, put it out on the Facebook on Facebook. Give us a bit of a bit of love, just to show people how good this event's going to be. You are the media, after all, and it was a media day, and that was the purpose. It didn't seem that too big a request. Posted to Instagram, and then you go in there and look, and we we as much as you know, we did. We we had a good crack at it. Like we weren't we weren't trying to do it to just you know just to get every uh, to well, we wanted to support the event obviously, but we weren't just going. Oh, they said do it quick. Let's go and do it. But we genuinely did our best to capture the day, to let everyone see just how wonderful this experience was. It reflected, it truly reflected our love of the invitation we received to play the President's Cup Media Day. And then when we went and looked at, so it was the hashtag President's Cup and, or at President's Cup. And so we thought at the end of the day, while we were still coming, well, I was going to say coming down from our high of the day, because it was absolutely magnificent. We thought we'd go in and have a look and see what else had been been posted in, in case we missed something, yeah, in, in, to see how far behind we were. Sad to say, and I am genuinely sad to say that we were the most active group on that for the whole day. Yeah, forty percent. I mean, it was almost forty percent of the the posts from the media day were from the little up and comers, the little battlers, you know, who who didn't go out of their way, as you said, to. 
to go, oh, we just want to make an impact. This was about saying this is a really exciting day. And we were talking before about pros who are desperate to play composite versus pros who just are going through the motions. Exactly right. And, and we wondered, we hypothesised via SMS, is that the malaise that's actually striking well, some golf media as well? And that's the thing for me because c- coming from that angle, from the journalistic perspective, I mean, it just shows me that the local media here, one of two things, they either just don't get it, which is I don't buy for a no, second. No, I don't buy that. Or they just don't care. And for me... For me, it's it's like it's just become it's just a job for them. It's, there's the passion seems to be lacking. I mean, I can ask that as a question: Is the passion lacking? If it you know softens it a bit, just as a, as a disclaimer, truly, I think the passion is dying big time in the local media down here with golf, and they just it's like they just expect these days to be put on for them as if it's their God given right, rather than embracing it and and sort of echoing the privilege that they're getting. You know, this invite to such a great event at such a great course, at a, a world class course, it really it pisses me off, Phil. It really annoys me. They need to show some more respect to the game and to those who are trying to build it here. Um, or we need to stay tuned because something amazing is going to happen. But the reality is, is we we're asked to get on it. We we're asked to do that. Just as a little look, we'll put on this day for you if you can just do something small for us. And for us, it was actually just highlighting how much and fun we we're having. It, and we had to tell somebody, so we thought we'd tell everybody. But that was. That was the the clear difference. And I think the other point is from a sponsor's point of view, you know, who did turn up and they, you know, they brought cars and they brought all their, their products. Yeah, and they had their activations. That's a very, oh, that's right. very marketing, Sorry. Very marketing uh, phrase. I forgot my marketing terms and I really should have. But, but they made the effort to be there. Yeah. Um, and this is not, it was not a free-for-all, but it was an absolute joy of a day to be involved with from our point of view. And this is not just because we are relatively new in this space because we are a long time in this industry and we would have been that way 20 years ago as we were on Monday. But just put back in, is that the best? Raise the bar. That's our challenge. In fact, that's our challenge to the Australian golf media and media in general. Raise the bar. This Don't just make this a pastime. Like, do it, give it more. Give it one step more because we ask our kids to do it. We ask everyone else to do it, sporting teams or otherwise. And I think we just need to give it a little bit more because when you spoke and without giving too much credit, but you, we were talking about this with Dave Colbert from Jump Media who runs the, um, the PR for the event and all, all that side of it. The passion that he speaks about. He still has, yeah. Absolutely. Is absolutely After incredible. And the love of the game and all the other things. Well, the least we could do is to match that. But if it's a forced thing, then don't. Let us do it because it's not forced. Yeah, we'll find another industry. If you're, not, if you're not actually in it, if we're not working together, we should be all working together to really get this up and about again. Yeah, Phil, I'm, I, don't mean to, I don't mean to be negative, Nelly, but that's, that's something I'm, I think, yeah, it upset me. It still is. Okay, well, my trending was a little bit different. Okay, what have you Damien, and it's um, And we did touch on this as a conversation about, I wonder, is the President's Cup important enough? And I wonder if one of the players might... Can I just have a bit of a tweak or something that needed a clean up at the start of the season that they really love and really care about? And I know the President's Cup is a great event and, and one of the great golf events that will ever come to the Australian shores. But we're a long way away and niggles tend to niggle a little bit more when you've got a long plane flight ahead of you for one event. And rumours were abounding the day. There was quite a bit of chatter. Uh, and it, it may have been announced formally but not in any means that I've seen Legal's flapping. But there is a, um, <laughs> that, that one of the players from the US team won't be able to play due to end of season surgery. And again, not confirmed and no one's 
looking to confirm so we won't, it. Won't, don't name yet. But what it might do is, it, if that is the case, it might just open up an opportunity for Whoa. our boy Ricky Ricky to yeah. get a call up. So listen here, Tiger. Let's <laughs> stop the mucking about. If it happens that one of your Muppets pulls the pin, I mean one of your Muppets who's going to win the Presidents Cup pulls the pin, Muppets nonetheless, uh, and you are one nil up because of the um, the pub spangled banner. Do us a favour and just. Can you give Ricky the call-up, please? We all want Ricky. We all want Ricky. He's much loved here. He's an honorary Australian, and not just because of the work he's done for Challenge and all the rest, but he's an honorary Australian. Tiger, now I know you listen to this podcast, unconfirmed, but we know you do. Must be under a pseudonym. Do the the right thing, will you? And just name Ricky. Ricky. Ricky, Ricky, Ricky. Please. Now, Philby, this is is normally the, the, the time of the podcast where we delve into some some sort of dreaming, places that just scream to us bucket list or places that we've been to that we want to relive. But I've got to be honest, and I don't mean to harp on it. I know that we've spoken a lot about Royal Melbourne, but the Royal Melbourne Composite for me, I cannot stop, I can't stop dreaming about it, even though it's only been a couple, a couple of nights. Seriously, talk to me. Give me something. Have I've, you got anything I've got else? I've nothing. Yeah, I can't, I can't Don't, come up with you, anything else this way. So the only way I can describe it is when you threw up the fact that you've played Composite more times than you've played West or East and then my mate said the same thing when I've waited to play this my whole life. Shout out, go. When I've waited to play this my whole life, the pain that I felt with a smile on my face, but the pain that I felt of you bastards. Look on the bright side. Simo doesn't, didn't get to play yesterday and... <laughs> And I know he's listening to this and he is punching something, hopefully not a person. While sleeping well. Yeah, he does sleep well. He sleeps very well. But no, I'm not sure there can be another dreaming. And for me, and I said this a few times during the round, and I think you were quite right in saying, look, just temper the excitement and be as objective as you you can, but I can't be. I am declaring that that is the best set of 18 holes I have played or will ever play on the face of the earth in the finest condition it can be. And it's still got in condition to improve on. And this is the scary thing. It was unbelievable. And the greens are going to get better and quicker from here yeah, in quick, the few weeks quick to go. Is interesting. I don't know but how they're going to get much quicker. They'll, they'll get better and faster, which is going to be awesome. And that's really the international's best chance is that the US guys somehow forget how to putt and we somehow remember. But the course is perfect. Yeah. Full stop. Let me throw one out to you. What was your favourite shot? What's the the shot you hit that um, on Monday that you you absolutely you loved it, but it's one that you keep going back to and going, oh, I'm so glad I hit that. The view, um, it's actually the a perspective or a view that I had versus the best shot. So I'll give you both. The view of standing on the sixth. Uh, T one two three fourth T on the composite. It's a sweeping downhill dog lo- dog leg right. One of the which used to be the sixth, holes. which used to be the sixth on the old composite for people who knew it for many years ago. It's now the fourth. Where you hit off down the hill and the, it bends hard right, and then you hit upwards to a green towards a grandstand and a green that's impossible to hold unless you if you drive in the perfect spot. If you hit the ball above the pin. Good luck. If you hit it below the pin, gee, I hope you haven't hit it too far below the pin. Like, that is the most majestic view I've got, whereas my drive was a bit more boring in that it was on the uh, 13 on the composite, which was down over the hill, around the corner, where I actually looked at the ball a a fair way down the fairway, and even I think I surprised even my playing partners. (laughs) And I said, 
if that's my ball, it can't be, it must have come off the other tee, oh, that's my ball. And then as I got closer to it, I knew it was mine and it was just genuine, oh, maybe there's a little bit of something left in me, not a lot. But it was the fact that I did it on that day and, and hit a couple of good shots, um, as we all did on the day, it stands out. Did you have a one of your own? Don't For me, it's actually a, um, it's a putt that I made. Because putting is one of those things for me. I'm either I can can be an okay putter. I can, oh, sorry, I can be a goodish putter in a certain round, but I'm not consistently good day to day. Like you're you're a good putter. You cons, you consistently know. Yeah, but you, you know your your pros and your cons of your putting, and you 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 know handy enough with that. But for me, it was on the third the third hole where we had that downhill. So that genuinely one of the the best par threes in the world. Are you with me? Have I got the mm-hmm. wrong hole? The third back up the hill. Yeah. And we had, it was a wild 20, 20 footer. Um, it was quick. What, straight down the hill? It was down the hill with it, and there were a couple of little turns, and putt, so got over it and felt really confident about it. Anyway, putted and could not have hit it more perfectly that it died into the hole with the last little, last little uh, right to the left. Like there. Tiger's chip at the Masters. It was, oh, and remember, we were all sitting there, and then, oh, get there, oh, bang, and went in. And it's just, it's one of those ones because I know how easy it is to get that putt wrong and be chipping 40 metres back up onto the green. And the great thing was that that putt went in, we only lost by 19. I mean, we're only 19 shots behind the winners, which is, you know, so I thought we had a real crack. And sorry, just to correct anyone, my drive was on 12 because I couldn't help but actually just go through every hole quickly in my head and go, oh, hang on, that's 10. Oh, yeah, no, I hit one good, a good one down 11 and then, but it was down 12, uh, which is a beautiful hole. And and we're so lucky to have it. But, yeah, we only finished, um, yeah, 17, 18 shots behind the winners, which is great. I think we counted all our shots though, Phil. Isn't it dangerous. I think, I think, yeah, hashtag, I think we counted all our shots and still lost by 17. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's it's something to dream about for a long time. But let's get into one of the favourite segments of the show, your history lesson, Phil. We need to wake up Jeff Wiggle style. Wake up Damien before we we do. So I'll speak, Damien, you drink. That does look delicious. And purely because of of where we played on Monday uh, and the designer of the golf course being Alistair McKenzie, well, the designer of the majority of the golf course because it was Royal Melbourne West. I thought I'd, I'd have a very, very quick summary of how lucky we were to have, from a golf point of view, to have Alistair McKenzie on the face of the earth for the short time that he was alive, which was only 64 years. So born in 1870, but he only fell in love with course design after World War I. So, so we didn't really have him designing golf courses for very long. Do we know why or how? Um, no, I think it was just he was a member of a number of golf courses in, in London in the UK, but he just fell in love and, and wrote a couple of books on golf design that, that remain iconic. But, yes, yeah, so he only had him with us from 1870 to 1934. But I thought I'd just go through a couple of the golf courses that he designed to realise exactly how good yeah. both the designs are, but how they also stand the test of time. Because, again, one of their discussion points from Monday, and it could have been Royal Melbourne West or Royal Melbourne East, but some of the great holes at Royal Melbourne are 320 metre long and protected with false fronts and it's greens that slope front to back and all these other things that make them borderline impossible, but technology who? Like, try, so drive the green, good 100%. luck to you. If you miss the green, good luck to you. I mean, it, it is just beautiful. It doesn't need to be 490,000 metre par fours because that doesn't help me or you enjoy our game of golf. We don't hit it 350. Well, well there you go. As you say, a lot of the, lot of the holes are quite short by today's standard. In fact, 
they are short by today's standards. Did you did you have any less fun playing that course? Absolutely not. Of it course is not. Unbelievably good. Because it's playable. It's designed. And this it's is the point. Length. It's playable. And Tom Doak, I think, tries to echo this sentiment a lot, is that it's got to be really playable and fun for members and really challenging no matter your level. And so, you know, a number of holes at Royal Melbourne, get close to the green with your drive, good luck from there. You actually needed to be 80 yards back or 90 yards back. So I think the caddies, despite the fact that we maintain that they're really, really good pack horses, I think the President's Cup week is really going to define who's got the best caddies, not just who's going to hit the best shots, and that's going to be local knowledge. Or who listens to their caddies. Uh, yeah, I, no, it's probably not a bad point. Who listens to their caddies? Because there's going to be a hell of a lot of times where they're going to be mapping the golf course out saying, we need to be 120 back, we need to be 130 back. Don't put me within 10 yards of the You're green. You've got to miss here. You cannot miss yeah. there. Because yep. we're, we're stuffed. But anyway, back to Alistair McKenzie. So Alistair McKenzie, Royal Melbourne West. There was a place that he designed with Bobby Jones called Augusta. And the real shame of that is that a, a few months prior to the very first Masters being played, Alistair McKenzie passed away. I haven't checked that fact, but that's what I believe happened. Lee was waving me off. Cypress Point, we spoke a little bit about the, ah, that Pebble Beach. That McKenzie. Um, the, the Pebble Beach rooting along the Monterey Peninsula and Cypress Point um, as a standard, Alistair McKenzie design. West Coast of Ireland, Damien, Lynch. I stop it. La Hinch, which uh, I've got a friend who has played at La Hinch. I've got an associate who's played at La Hinch, and he said it is just unbelievable. And then from an Australian point of view, we've also got New South Wales. We've got Alistair McKenzie helping, not designing, but helping with the bunkering around Kingston Heath to give his little bit of his overlaid at Kingston Heath. New Zealand, and the only course Alistair McKenzie designed in New Zealand, uh, according to my sources, uh, Titarangi. So, sorry, so, what was that one? Thank you, Damien. So we're just we're just very okay. very lucky. Are you knocking me pronunciations again? No, I'm just trying. To, I didn't quite catch it. What, what was it called? Titirungi. Okay. But thank goodness how lucky we were that that this surgeon who had a love of the game decided that he wanted to take on course design and had an interesting course design because what and you look through any Alistair McKenzie courses you'll see doesn't matter where you are in the world you're going to see some courses that you, oh wow I can't believe he did that California Club Macrohinish there's there's courses everywhere that you're going to find that thank goodness Alistair McKenzie was born yeah. because we you know again this honouring the past not just worrying about the future. Even current day designers, thank goodness, Alice McKenzie has taught them more lessons than they're going to learn from anyone else. So cheers with my... Cheers. No, oh, let's do uh, that. My four... Let's see if we can get a clean. Four pillars, Gin International, and your past Spangled Banner. Oh. Cheers to Alistair McKenzie. We are really grateful for good your work. Now, that's a, fan, that's, a, that's a good history lesson, Phil. It's a good history lesson about an iconic... Pioneer of the game in a lot of ways. So let's finish it with a bit of levity. No, well, I don't know. I don't know if I can follow that, Phil. But I've got one for you. So just keeping that, we'll keep the theme, the theme of the day going. So there was this grizzly bear, <laughs> and he walks into a bar and he says to the bartender, "Give me a gin and tonic." And the bartender says, "Sure, buddy, but why the big pause?" Boom, boom. And with that, <laughs> it gives me nothing ever. That's Tenuous Links for today. Special thanks again to today's sponsor and more importantly, our foundation partner, Ping. 
These guys are fantastic and we really appreciate everything they do with and for us. And remember to log on to baronslife.com and subscribe for free to get all our updates and issues of Baron's Life, the freshest golf and lifestyle digital magazine in the world, as well as tenuous links, podcast reminders and golf barons show updates. Philby, it's been a great week. A great week. Let's uh, let's add some more swagger to our swing if in fact that's even possible. I'm going back to golf dreaming, Damien. 